Good morning, Unionville Alliance Church. So happy to see each of you here today, and welcome especially to those that are watching online, or if you're watching during the week, we're glad that you can connect with us as well. We're starting a new series today called Gospel Patrons for the month of November, and you might be wondering, what is a gospel patron? Well, guess what? The title of the message today is, What is a Gospel Patron? Um, but I want you to look at the screen for a moment, because I want to tell you a story to start off, but I, how many here, you've used the YouVersion Bible app before? Anyone? On your phones, right? And I know you're all probably just staring and wondering at Daniel. Why is Daniel holding a physical Bible at church? I know it's something that you probably have not seen before, but I'm, I'm going to use this today. But if you can uh, maybe show that, Andrew, on the screen. Um, this is a real-time map of people that are using the YouVersion Bible app right now. Okay? So if you can see the daytime um, it's just move over to the West Coast, starting on this, this side, and part of it's still nighttime in some other places. Um, you know, there's a big swath right there of, in the United States and a little bit of Canada there. Church services going on probably, right? People using the Bible. So that's a, that's a real-time depiction of the YouVersion Bible app. And if you have that Bible app on your phone, you can set Unionville Alliance Church to your home church, uh, and you'll be able to get updates with us and you know, join Bible plans that we do together, which we've done in the past. But I want to tell you a story, as you're seeing that as well, about this Bible. Not this Bible in particular, but the Bible that was actually printed many years ago. See, in the fourth century, uh, the Bible was translated from Greek and Hebrew into Latin. And it stayed in Latin for about a thousand years. And even though languages were developing across Europe and in other places, the Bible was kept in Latin and unfortunately not being able to re be read by the common people. Until about the 1500s, when a man by the name of William Tyndale came along, he was a gifted linguist. He was an intelligent man that was able to, that God gifted him in so many different ways and gave him a burden to translate the Bible from uh, Greek and Hebrew into English for the common people of his day because he lived in England and English was the language of the common people. The unfortunate thing was that translating the Bible was illegal. You could be thrown in jail or, put in, or, or killed if you translated the Bible. And so William Tyndale approached one of the leaders in the Church of England about translating the Bible, and he said, no, you can't do that, and I'm not going to put my neck on the line for you either. And so Tyndale had this burden in his heart about translating the Bible, and he took some small little preaching jobs here and there, and one day he went into a small little church called St. Dunstan. It's still there in England. And he walked into that church, and he was there to preach on that day, and in the back row of that little church was a man by the name of Humphrey Monmouth. Humphrey Monmouth was a, a businessman. He was a trader in cloth. And God had blessed him, and he had been very successful. And as Tyndale preached that day, the Lord moved upon Humphrey Monmouth's heart. And after the service, he came and he talked to, talked to Tyndale. And he had heard a little bit about Tyndale and a little bit about what he was thinking to do. And he told Tyndale, he said... God has given you a work to do. Now it's time for you to get at it. And he said, come, I will protect you. I will fund you. I will support you. And I'll help you. Tyndale moved into Humphrey Mammon's house, and he started the translation of the New Testament from Greek into English. And 
As he started to do that, he was able to be cared for by Humphrey uh, Monmouth. And finally, when he was nearing completion, because printing presses were much better in other parts of Europe, he went over into, uh, Humphrey Monmouth sent him over to, to Europe and used his, his ships uh, because he had a large uh, uh, trading uh, uh, merchant ship industry. And so he went there and he started to uh, print the Bible, which was illegal to do. And they printed 3,000 New Testaments. Out of those 3,000 New Testaments, only three of them remain till today. And the British Museum paid a million pounds for one of them. How many, how many Bibles do you have in your house? But because of what, what happened, they started to burn the Bibles and William Tyndale's life was in danger. Humphrey Monmouth's um, uh, life was in danger as well because he used his ships, he used his, uh, his abilities, his funding, his, his wealth, and his influence to be able to uh, move the Bibles from place to place and bring them to England so that the common people of the day would have the Bible in their English language. And so after a time, Tyndale, unfortunately, Humphrey Monmouth, he took the risk to fund Tyndale, but he also ended up in prison because of what he did, Right? because of his desire to, to have the Bible translated. Tyndale ended up uh, in prison as well, and eventually he was killed because of what he did. He, uh, they, they, they strangled him, they killed him, they burned his body. But before he died, he cried out and he said, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Within two years, that prayer was answered. In two years' time, the King of England ordered that an English Bible be put in every church in England. In 75 years, King James uh, ordered another translation of the Bible and uh, said that we need to translate the Bible again, and they did an amazing translation called the King James Version that ended up being basically the standard translation for about 400 years. And it was a translation that many people used for hundreds of years to take the word of God to, throughout the world. Some of the words that Tyndale used in his translation, words like Passover and words like atonement, they were coined by Tyndale as he translated the Bible from Greek, to he, from Greek to English and are still used today in our English language and in our English Bibles. About 80 to 90% of the King James Version was the work of William Tyndale. An amazing job that Tyndale did, why? Because he was funded by a gospel patron named Humphrey. Monmouth. And that's what I want to talk to you about in these next few weeks. What does it mean actually to be a gospel patron? Now the word patron, if you, if you look at just the, the dictionary, it says a person chosen, named, or honored as a special guardian, protector, or supporter. Okay? One that uses wealth or influence to help an individual and in, on an institution or a cause. Okay, these are just definitions from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. One who buys the goods or uses the services offered especially by an establishment. Nowadays, there's a website called Patreon. Anyone heard of the website called Patreon? It's a website that if you're a creative person, if you're an artist, if you're a musician or whatever it might be, you can open up and put out your stuff on this website called Patreon, which gets its root word from patron, uh, to be able so that other people could support you. Other people can help you uh, in, order, in, in your business and in your industry. But the word patron is actually used only one time in the New Testament. The Greek word there is used one time, and I'll tell you at the end of the message where it's actually used. 
but I'll give you a definition of what I think is a gospel patron. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to show you a video at the end of the message from a site called Gospel Patrons, and you can Google it, you can go to that site, there's lots of great resources. There's a book called Gospel Patrons, you know I always like to recommend books, there's a book called Gospel Patrons, and I uh, recommend that you uh, read it, it's written by John Reinhardt. Um, but here's my definition of a, of a gospel patron, and this is what we're going to talk about today. A gospel patron is a disciple of Jesus. Remember, we just came out of a series on discipleship. We just came out of talking about what does it mean to be a disciple. It means to be an apprentice of Jesus, right? It means to be with Jesus. It means to uh, grow and become like him, and it means to do what he did in, in making disciples. So a gospel patron is a disciple of Jesus who has developed a posture of generosity for the proclamation of the gospel through their time, talents, and treasures. Okay, so there's a lot in that definition, but next week we're going to look at the posture of generosity, okay, and, but today I want to look at time, talents, and treasure. And my challenge to myself and to all of us here is can we be gospel patrons that develop a posture of generosity, particularly even in this season of giving as we come to Christmas, can we develop a posture of generosity in using our time and talents and treasures, not just for anything, but specifically for the proclamation of the gospel? And this is my challenge for all of us. How are we using our time, our talents, and our treasures, and God has given all three to us, how are we using that for the proclamation of the gospel? Because the first thing is that gospel patrons use their time for the kingdom of God. And I hope you take some time to think and reflect. I know our life groups are gonna be digging through this in a little bit more detail and thinking about how can you use your time for the kingdom of God. Let me read a verse here in the book of Luke chapter eight. And this, uh, these verses here talk a little bit about some of the people that traveled with Jesus and supported Jesus. It says this, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour in the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. See, these women that travel with Jesus, they traveled and gave up of their time for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, they did also give up some of their treasures, and the examples that I'll give to you, there's an intersection here of treasures, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because I think it's really critical, because the Word of God says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so it's really important for us to understand that connection, and we'll look at that in another message in this series about that connection between the treasure and the heart. But these women, they travel with Jesus, and out of their own means, out of their own, their own ways that God had blessed them financially and wealth-wise, they used that to minister to Jesus and to the disciples so that the gospel could be proclaimed. They were gospel patrons, using their time, they traveled with Jesus for years and where he went and what he did and they were there to support him. I wonder about us, how are we using our time for gospel proclamation? If we believe the truth of the Great Commission and believe what Jesus said and what Jesus did and, and the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of God, which is so amazing and transformational, 
then we should be using our time for gospel proclamation. We should be using our time to further advance the kingdom of God so that many more might come to know the saving grace and love of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, we read uh, about a time when there was some murmuring and there was some complaining. I know it's, it's very odd that that happened in a church, but it did happen in the early church. There was some murmuring and there was some complaining that was going on. And because some people were being neglected, some of the, the widows were being neglected by the daily administration because they, they supported one another, they helped one another. And so the word of God says that the apostles, they appointed seven people to be sort of what we would call deacons, be people that would oversee and support this particular ministry that they were trying to do to help support the widows. And so these people used their time for the furtherance of the gospel, for gospel proclamation by ministering to those that had need, by being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing the love of God that way. They used their time when there was a need, when there was an area of service that had to be fulfilled, when there was something that required a little bit more time because the apostle said, we, we shouldn't be involved in this. We, got, we have some other stuff that we need to do. We need to give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Is there someone else that could give of their time to help this ministry? And they appointed seven other people to say, hey, you guys focus on this so that we can focus on that. And they gave of their time. They were gospel patrons giving of their time for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. But not only did they give of their time, some of them were very talented, one being Stephen. He was a great preacher. He was a great teacher of the word of God. Philip was a great evangelist that shared the word of God. And so not only did they give of their time, we can see that as they gave of their time and as they served the Lord, they started to use their talents as well for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Which brings me to point number two. Gospel patrons use their talents for the kingdom of God. We all have talents. We all have uh, things that God has blessed us with. And I particularly want to encourage you, those that are involved in business, those that are involved with special gifts and talents, maybe you're a computer programmer, maybe you're a, a, a doctor or a physiotherapist or a teacher or whatever you might be, whatever way that God has gifted you, use those talents for gospel proclamation for the kingdom of God. Be a gospel patron. In our bumper video just before I came up, you would have seen, and you might be wondering, well, what, are, you know, what are these images of people just doing this and that and the other? What those images talk about is that all of us, God wants to use all of us holistically in the way that God has gifted us. In the weeks to come, I'll, I'll probably be texting out a few different videos, things that you guys can look at and watch that I hope will be an inspiration. So if you're not on our, on our texting plan, you can text the word uh, hello to our, to our number, uh, the number you saw in the announcement time, and you can be on that. But it's an opportunity. God gives us an opportunity to use the talents that God has given to us for the gospel. If you look, at, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, it says this, uh, about a, a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Verses one to three, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. See, Priscilla and Aquila, they were gospel patrons as well that worked with Paul, that helped Paul and supported Paul even in his bivocational ministry. They were people that were there for Paul as gospel patrons. 
In Romans chapter 16, uh, as Paul writes this letter, he talks about them again. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. See, they were not just gospel patrons in the sense of supporting Paul financially and helping him in his tent-making business, but they were also people that were talented in gospel proclamation. They were people that even had a house church in their home. We don't know exactly what they did, but it says here they risked their life for Paul. They were willing to step out of their comfort zone, step out of uh, what was uh, easy probably for them and do something. We don't, we don't have details. We don't know what it was, but Paul was so appreciative. Their support was so holistic for Paul. It wasn't just Paul. They weren't just there for Paul to be able to say, here, Paul, we'll help you with your tent-making business. No, but they stood alongside Paul. They were there with him in the spiritual things and in the physical things as well. Look at in, in Acts chapter 18, uh, here again about Priscilla and Aquila. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, this is speaking about a man named Apollos, he took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. See, there was a, there was a young man named Apollos and he had a zeal for God and he was preaching the word of God. But here you see the talent of Priscilla and Aquila again. They saw Apollos and, and he didn't know a lot. He didn't know the full gospel and so Aquila and Priscilla, they pulled uh, Apollos aside and mentored him. There was this mentorship relationship that was happening between Aquila and Priscilla and, Paul, and, and Apollos. And we hope to start a, a mentorship program in, in January as well. And I want to encourage you that if you want to be a mentor or if you need mentorship, both sides, please connect with us, connect with Pastor Leonor. We want to be able to, we see that as an important discipleship pathway that fulfills our vision to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. But you see here Aquila and Priscilla using what God had gifted them, the talents that God had gifted them with to be able to declare the gospel and help others to that end. Friends, what is the gift that God has given to you? What is the talent that God has gifted you? Maybe God has gifted you with some business acumen that you can know how to run a business and you can use that for the furtherance of the gospel. Maybe God has gifted you to be able to write computer programs and you can write those programs for the furtherance of the gospel. Maybe God has gifted you athletically and through that, you could use that as well for gospel proclamation for the furtherance of the gospel. It doesn't matter who we are or what we are or what kind of talents or abilities that God has given to us, but all of what God has given to us is for the furtherance of the gospel. All of what God has given to us, he's invested into us so that we can invest into the kingdom of God. Grizz read, from us, read for us from Acts about a man named Barnabas. What was Barnabas's talent? Can someone tell me? He was an encourager. That was his talent. He was an encourager. And he was an encourager so much so that the apostle said, hey, let's name you the encourager because you're so good at encouraging us. Now, he also used his finances and he used his wealth to bless the kingdom of God because he sold the land that he had and he brought the money to the apostles and said, hey, use this for the kingdom of God. But his talent was encouragement. And he used that for the kingdom of God. And so God wants us not just to use our time and not just to use our talents, but also as Barnabas did too, he used his talent of encouragement, but he also used his treasures. 
he took the land that he had and he sold it. And he said, here, take, use this for the kingdom of God. And that brings me to my last point, is that gospel patrons use their treasures for the kingdom of God. Gospel patrons use their treasures for the kingdom of God. Friends, how are we using our treasures for the furtherance of the kingdom of God? You, you heard the story that I told you about William Tyndale and Humphrey Monmouth. Most people now know William Tyndale. Most people would know, have heard about Tyndale. His name is, you know, there's a seminary named after him here in Toronto, Tyndale. And you'll see all sorts of things, Tyndale Publishing House in, in England and all of those things. But Tyndale would not have been able to do what he did if it wasn't for Humphrey Monmouth. Because Tyndale stepped into that church and at that church when he preached and there was a man that sat in the back row that had a burden and God spoke to him and he allowed himself to be used by God to be a gospel patron. He was sensitive to the voice of the Lord, sensitive to the will of God, sensitive to be used by God. Look at, uh, look at in the book of uh, Luke chapter one. I don't know if, you, if you've heard about this gospel patron. Um, his name is Theophilus. Anyone heard about the gospel patron Theophilus? Well, here he is, Luke chapter one. Many people have set out to write accounts, this is Luke writing, about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness report circulating among us for the early uh, from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. What, what Bible scholars think about Theophilus is that he was probably the person that funded Luke to be able to write the Gospel of Luke and to be able to write the, the book of Acts. Not that... You know, he, Luke was probably, not that Luke was really thinking about, oh, I'm going to write the Bible. I'm going to write something that's going to be a blessing for centuries to come. No, he was just writing here because Theophilus had funded him. Theophilus was the gospel patron that helped him, helped Luke to be able to do what he did. He used the treasures that he had. And can you imagine if he didn't? If Theophilus didn't at that time say, hey, Luke, can you do some research? Can you do some writing? Can you go and figure out? I've been hearing these stories about Jesus. I've been hearing these stories about this man. I'm not really sure about exactly what happened, but hey, here's some money. Can you do some research? Can you look into this? And can you find out what exactly happened? And Luke did that. And that ended up becoming a great blessing to Luke because he ended up traveling with Paul and so many other things happened in the book of Acts. I want to tell you about another person and this illustrates the intersection between time, talents, and treasure. And her name is Phoebe. Phoebe is a beautiful example in the word of God of the intersection between time, talents, and treasures. Bible scholars tell us that possibly Phoebe was a, was a wealthy businesswoman during the time of the early church. And Paul had a lot of trust in Phoebe. In the book of Romans chapter, in the book of Romans chapter 16, Paul writes about Phoebe and he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of, my, of many and of myself as well. Remember I told you at the beginning that the word patron is used once in the, once in the New Testament? 
That's the ones. Okay? The word there that says our sister Phoebe, a servant, the word there in Greek is diakono, which is the word that's used for deacon. She's probably a leader of the church in Cancrea. She had the trust of the Apostle Paul, not just because she was wealthy, but remember, we'll, we'll study this in a little bit, but where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There's definitely a connection that's there. And she had the trust of the Apostle Paul, and she was a helper of the Apostle Paul. She was a patron, a gospel patron, a supporter, an encourager, a giver to the work that Paul was doing. And so Phoebe took of her time. She traveled all the way from, this letter was probably, the book of Romans was probably written in, in Corinth. She traveled from Corinth all the way to Rome in order to take this letter to the church in Rome. Now, she might have been going there already for some business, we don't know, okay? But she took of her time in order to be able to serve the Lord and serve the ministry of the Apostle Paul. She took of her talent as well to be able to serve the Lord. Now, back in those days, uh, when a letter was sent by somebody there, uh, possibly Phoebe would have been the one to read the letter out to the church when she got there. Uh, one of the, the, the uh, New Testament scholars of our day, one of the most prominent New Testament scholars of our day, N.T. Wright, probably the foremost authority on Paul and his life, he says most likely Phoebe would have been the one to read the letter to the church in Rome. Other scholars uh, disagree with that. But there is some consensus that would say, even if she didn't read the letter out to the church in Rome, she'd be the one to answer the questions. Can you imagine? Anyone here have any questions about the book of Romans? Or we're all good with that? Like all of the things about salvation and predestination and, and everything that's talked, sanctification, living by the spirit. Everyone good with that? Like no questions about the book of Rome, no need for more Bible studies. I don't know about you. I got tons of questions still about the book of Romans. So can you imagine that if you were sitting there in the church in Rome and the great apostle Paul is sending you a letter and Phoebe's there and the letter is read and then you're like, hey, can we just FaceTime with Paul for a second? I just need to ask him a question. Let me text him. I got his number on speed. Let me text him. No, you couldn't. So what would you do? Hey, Phoebe, you were just with Paul when he was writing this. What did this actually mean? Paul trusted Phoebe because she, he knew that she understood the gospel. She had some talent and understanding in what God was actually doing, what Jesus had done. And so those questions that would have been asked by the church in Rome after reading that letter, thankfully, Phoebe was talented. We can't say this 100% for sure, but more than likely, she was the one that would possibly have given, yeah, the first exposition of the book of Romans was given by a woman. That's quite amazing. She used her talents for gospel proclamation. And finally, she used her treasure for gospel proclamation. She was probably a businesswoman, a wealthy businesswoman, and used what she had. As Paul says here, she was a patron of many, not just of, of, of Paul. She was a patron, a supporter, an encourager of many, and of myself as well. Friends, can we be gospel patrons? Use our time, Use our talents, use our treasures for the furtherance of the gospel. Use what God has given to us in a posture of generosity to bless others. Use what God has given to us for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. We can't take any of it when we go from this life. What we invest in here in this world, if we invest it into people, that will reap a reward in eternity.
If we invest it into the kingdom of God, it'll reap a reward in eternity. I want to just show you a video. It's a little bit longer than what I would normally show you, but I think it's very powerful and it illustrates gospel patronage really well. And again, I want to show you some small videos even throughout the week. I'll, I'll text you out some or send via email. But this video I want to show you, I think it really means a lot here at Unionville Alliance Church for a few reasons. Number one, because of this, because we value the Word of God. Because we have a high value for what the Word of God says, and this video illustrates that. Number two, we have a high value for least reached people groups around the world. And this video illustrates that the Bible going into least reached places and being translated and the cost of that. Number three, because our vision is to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time, and this video illustrates that as well, how even just one life being touched is so critically important. Number four, because as I asked you before, many of us use the YouVersion Bible app. And this video is gonna tell you the, how the YouVersion Bible app came to be and how it started at the same time that the iPhone was introduced. Can you believe that? And lastly, I think this video is important because it helps us to understand what a gospel patron is. After the video is done, Brandy's gonna come up and she's gonna sing a song for us about surrender as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's table. And as she sings, I want you to reflect on what we heard today in the message and in the video and prepare your hearts for the Lord's table as we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's watch this together. In 1998, I had this impression of the head and the heart. Something I felt like the Lord put on me that it was gonna happen in the future. It was gonna be a project so big that no ministry could do it by themselves. The question that I was asking was, could we be at a moment in history where if we could just leverage the technology that we have available today, that it could transform how this generation engages with the Bible? The generosity story for me began with my grandmother, Marie Green, my father's mother. A couple of the stories that just really impacted me as a young person growing up was that she would actually pay tithes even on the gifts that she received. And so if somebody gave her a coat or a gift of food or whatever, she would figure out how much it was worth and pay tithes on that. Grandma and Grandpa were both preachers. They wanted six preachers and they got five. And so uh, I saw my dad struggle with that. Missionary was the very highest thing you could be, and then a pastor, and then a business guy came way, way down here. And so he kind of felt a little second class in his family for the longest time. And then he was at a, a church meeting, and he really felt God moved upon him to give a certain gift amount, and it was $30,000, and he knew he didn't come up with the amount because he didn't have $30,000. And so he went forward to the guy and says, look, I feel like the Lord has told me, so I'm gonna send you four checks, $7,500, September, October, November, December. Don't cash them until I call you. But I tell you what, if I do have it, it's yours. And so that's my way of making a faith gift. And that was out of town, on a plane flying back. God really convicted my dad, you're not second class. I made you as a businessman. You're anointed for what you do. And uh, giving is one of your gifts. And so my dad has never looked back, never felt second class. He'll tell you he's an anointed merchant. Then in 1997, we decided to come together as a family. And I always like to get things down to real simple things and real simple terms. So I thought, what is the one word our family is gonna be known for 50 years from now? 
I challenged myself, what would it be 50 years from now that people say, oh yeah, yeah, the greens were known for, and I put it in a frame, because we're framers, and we've been gluing frames since I was nine years old, and in the biggest frame, I had the word Bible. And uh, as I look back, even to the first gifts that we gave, we've always felt that God's Word was one of two things that's gonna last forever. God's Word lasts forever, and the souls of men and women last forever. And what greater thing to give to than making sure God's Word is in people's hearts. And so we've done that. When I was at school, my dad called me when I was 19 and talked about Christian retail, and boy, that sounded exciting. Now, I love learning. I've been a lifelong learner, and I did well in school, and I loved that. But when he called, I really thought about that, and I just felt like, wow, what a chance, what an opportunity. My dad was gonna help sign on the dotted line. He didn't have enough money. He only had about five stores at that time. He was still trying to make a go of it at Hobby Lobby. And so, but at 19, you don't think through all of the things. I didn't have a business plan or anything. It was just, I called my dad. I said, Dad, what do you think about that? Christian retail, you're really gonna do it someday. He says, well, you wanna do it? And he says, if you come home, I'll help you get a loan. And so I prayed about that and I thought, well, I guess I go back home and make some money again. And if I don't do well, I'll have some money to go back to school. And so I quit school, uh, came home and uh, started Mardell in 1981. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last 34 years of my life. And we did do very well the first year, and we were able to make a little bit of money. And so I really wanted to say, well, where, do, where does Mardell tithe its profits? And so I thought, you know what? We sell Bibles. Wouldn't it be neat to help people get their Bibles? And I just found out about Wycliffe Bible Translators. I had no idea there was 6,000 languages on planet Earth, and that 4,000 of them don't have adequate scripture and all of this. And so I said, man, what if we help pay for the printing of those Bibles that get translated. It takes a long time to translate a Bible, so it'd be hard for my employees to get excited about a 10, 20 year process. So we pay for first edition print Bibles. So that was a thrill for us at Mardell. And so it's something all of our employees are proud of to think, wow, if we do better this year, we're gonna help somebody get God's Word in their heart language. After doing that for a couple of years, Wycliffe Bible Translators, Dave Whitmer, one of the gentlemen that worked there, said, Mark, you gotta come to one of these dedications. You just gotta come. You're paying for the printing. And why don't you come to one? I said, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I don't know what a dedication looks like or feels like, so yeah, let's go. So February the 7th, I was going down to Guatemala, and on that flight, they actually gave me a sheet of paper, and it listed Eastern Hockletech people. There's 30,000 people that speak Eastern Hockletech. 8,000 of those can read. 1,000 of those are believers, and 400 believers can read. Well, I'm a business guy, so there's three letters that go through my head, and that's ROI, return on investment. What kind of return on investment is this? And then I looked and I realized the translators that happened to be from my hometown, right here in Oklahoma City, were there for 40 years. They went down in 1958. This is 1998. I'm born in 61. This couple's been down there my entire life, translating God's Word for 30,000 people. Now, is that a good return on investment? And I just paid for all those Bibles and only four of them can read it. So uh, that's the spirit I was in when I went to this dedication, okay? So I get to the dedication and it was a big ceremony through town and they were all had a parade. There was four of the Eastern Hockletech people that helped translate the Bible over. Some of them for 40 years, some of them came along 20 years ago. One of those who had been there the entire 40 years was Gaspar. Now when Gaspar went forward to get his Bible, because they gave it to him in this ceremony, he did something I'd never seen before. He openly wept. And I could tell in the culture people didn't cry. And he's getting his handkerchief out. He's wiping his eyes clear. And I'm stunned by this moment watching a man weep over his Bible. Because I have 1,200 Bibles in the bookstores that we have. And I've never, and I've helped people find the right one. And they've never wept over it. 
that same moment I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me, now Mart, why don't you go tell Gaspar he's not a good return on investment? You know, I was embarrassed by the way I felt because I realized that everybody should have God's Word in their heart language. But it was at 2 o'clock that night, having just seen Gaspar weep over his Bible, gone through all that emotion, there were cats running on the tin roof, and so I couldn't sleep. Four drunks were singing out the window, so I said, you know what, we're not sleeping the night. So it was 2 o'clock in the morning, I finally got up, and by flashlight, I'm reading a book by Kay Arthur, and it made a very simple statement. Being in God's Word and knowing it for yourself is the key. Being in God's Word and knowing it for yourself is the key. I'm a fifth generation Christian on my mom's, third on my dad's side. Don't miss church when the door's open. I owned maybe 15 or 20 Christian bookstores at that time. I just paid for that Bible that Gaspar wept over. I have over 40 Bibles in my home, and yet I don't read God's Word on a consistent basis. And so I got convicted by the Lord, and I think the Lord had three letters on His mind. What kind of ROI are you? What kind of return on investment is Mark Green? Because I realized I had every advantage in the world, and yet I didn't read God's Word on kind of a consistent basis. So February the 8th at 2 o'clock in the morning, I made a vow to the Lord. I'm going to get up first thing and read God's Word for the rest of my life. In 1998, I had this impression of the head and the heart. Something I felt like the Lord put on me that it was going to happen in the future. It doesn't happen to me very often, but I just felt like this is going to happen someday. It was going to be a project so big that no ministry partner could do it by themselves. It, they would have to come together with other ministries. It'd be so big, no resource partner could do it by themselves. They would have to come together. And it'd be so big, both of those would have to come together and strategize if they were going to, in fact, accomplish this huge goal. I had no idea what it would be, but I just put it on my heart, wrote it in my journals, and just said, Lord, we'll just see what happens. It was in 2007 when I had a friend of mine call from uh, Florida and says, you need to meet a guy right there in Oklahoma City. This guy was named Bobby Grunewald. He was at a church called Life Church, which was uh, a newer church in our town, but was growing, so I'd heard of it. I meet Bobby, and man, I fell in love with Bobby the first time I met him. Just some of those people that you meet the first time, you're just, your hearts resonate. And what I saw in Bobby was a generous person with humility who had integrity. And that's somebody I can partner with. So it was October of 2006, and I'm in a long TSA security line at the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. The question that I was asking was, could we be at a moment in history where if we could just leverage the technology that we have available today, that it could transform how this generation engages with the Bible? So we built the website and launched it in September of 2007. And the idea was you would take a poem or you would read a verse and you would tie it to a scripture so people could like it or they could have video, audio, all kinds of different things tagged to a verse. And you do it on a computer. The results of it were really not what we had hoped for. Some people used it, we had some traffic, we had some people that came to it, some people that liked it, but really nothing that seemed like it was going to transform how a generation engages with scripture. And right at that time, as we were getting to shut this down, Apple announced that they were making it possible to develop an app for the iPhone. And we thought, what if we could build a Bible app that would be among the very first group of apps that were available in the App Store? Perhaps people that weren't even interested in reading the Bible might see it and think, oh, that's a free app, and maybe I'll download it and put it on my phone, and maybe I'll read it. Of course, I have a Blackberry at that time, right? And so I said, Bobby, you can't get people to read the Bible on the big screen. 
How are you going to read it on three lines? Because my vision was a blackberry. You only get about three lines of the Bible. So, but I said, we already got the right, so whatever. You know what I mean? Our app was among the first 200 apps that were available in the App Store. I think we talked about, well, what if they downloaded like 60,000 Bibles that first six months? That was July to December. That's a lot of Bibles to be downloaded. And so sure enough, they got it done. Phone comes out on Friday. Monday, Bobby calls me. Mark, you ain't gonna believe this. We downloaded 83,000 Bibles this weekend. And we were blown away. We had absolutely no idea that this was possible. I thought, oh my goodness. And even more importantly than the number of people that installed it between Thursday and Sunday, was the fact that we could see that people were using it. They were opening it, and it was something that was connecting. We were using it on our iPhones, and it, it became apparent that this was actually working, that God was doing something amazing, and it was actually changing how people were engaging with the Bible. We believe that this generation has the potential to become the most Bible-engaged generation in history, something that was unthinkable just seven, eight, nine years ago. We think we'll be able to see that happen in our lifetime. And so what was a part-time project on Friday uh, became a full-time project for that 19-year-old on Monday when he came in to work because we had all sorts of ideas of how to improve the app. We had more languages and versions and lots of things that we wanted to be able to accomplish because we could clearly see that God was up to something. And so when I hung up the phone, I thought, oh no, he's going to want Portuguese, he's going to want Spanish, he's going to want Chinese, he's going to want all these languages of the world. And we had to get the rights for English and it took us a year. And so underneath my hat, I just knew that was coming. So I started thinking, man, how are we going to do this? How's it going to work? When we started Uversion or were planning to, to build it, we were completely ignorant. It's so ignorant that I had no idea that the Bible was actually owned by people. Something that today is somewhat obvious. There's people that, that do these translations and own the rights to them. But we ran quickly into a brick wall of saying that we can't actually launch this without getting the rights from the publishers that own the rights to these, these different translations of the Bible. So I started thinking and trying to figure out a way how to help Bobby. And so, um, so Bobby got on airplanes and he flew around the world trying to get rights and that was a struggle. And so finally I said, Bobby, let me help you. I'll try to see if we can go together. I have a relationship. I'll see if I can get all these guys in the room and let's try to build a digital Bible library. I realized that what God had put on my heart in 1998 was to put together a digital Bible library that could centralize, digitize, and standardize the text, which is what Bobby needed. But I had one more word I needed to put in this library, and that was to finalize. If we're gonna build a library to hold all 6,000 languages, it sure seems like we ought to get them in there. We're gonna eradicate Bible poverty, which means we are gonna finalize and make sure that every heart language is finished so if this digital Bible library that we built is not empty or have a bunch of empty shelves, every shelf will be full with every language on planet Earth. I have hope that all seven billion people all have access to God's Word in my lifetime. Mart has been a true partner in this work, a significant partner. I mean, he's, he's a gospel patron. What's one of the most incredible things about Mart is not just what he's given, and his family's given financially to be a partner. And not even just the time sometimes that he's invested, which is really incredible. I mean, he'd go anywhere and do anything to sort of help support it. But there's many times when, you know, when you're discouraged or when you're not sure how you're gonna go forward, that Mark just has this ability to let you know 
that he believes in you. Sometimes it's that direct. Like he'll send a text message and he'll say something, maybe suggestion or idea, but at the end of it, he would say, I believe in you. And that simple phrase, as a leader uh, and someone that feels the weight of, of what um, we carry, sometimes just knowing that you have someone that's, that supports you in that way, that is behind you in that way, that believes in you, that, that's incredible. What's been really fun for me is to be able to be a gospel patron. You know, I've been a donor before and that's money. But to be a gospel patron to me says, I'm gonna give you my resource, which is not just money. I have time, I have talent, I have trust. Sometimes I'll use my trust to help you. But I think that's what a gospel patron is, kind of holistically. It's all those kind of things. I can't do that with all the ministries we're involved with. But there's a few ministries that I'm really passionate about that I say, you know what? I'm in for more than just the money and the donations. I'm gonna be this patron with you. I'm gonna come alongside you. I'm gonna fight battles with you, but we're gonna do it. I'm gonna lock arms with you and we're gonna do it. And that's what a gospel patron is to me.
Are you ready to surrender all to Jesus? He doesn't want just part of our life. He wants all of our life. Are you ready to be a gospel patron? What is the Lord asking of you today? From your time, from your talents, from your treasures, whatever talents the Lord has given to you, you saw in the video how even God uses businessmen. I don't even want to say even, but God does use business people. And God has gifted some of you in the business realm. God has gifted some of you with various talents that you can use for the proclamation of the gospel. What's the decision that you'll come to today towards that? Of your time, of your talents, and of your treasures that will leave a lasting legacy far beyond our lives and into eternity. William Tyndale and Humphrey Monmouth who was his gospel patron, their lives now still speak volumes to today, hundreds of years after they lived. And the YouVersion Bible app that's reaching millions of people around the world will live long far beyond Mark Green and Bobby Grinwald and what they put together because they were gospel patrons. As we think about what Jesus has done for us, friends, we want to come to the table of the Lord. And if you're a believer in Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to partake with us today. You to receive some elements uh, when you came in or just now from the ushers. But let's think about what Jesus has done for us and our response of gratitude towards him. Think about how Jesus has transformed and changed our lives through his death and resurrection. And now what does he call us to do? in response to that. Let me read, from, read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as I do, I want to invite Johnny and, and Lorna to come forward as they get ready to pray for the bread and the cup. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is an amazing privilege that we have today as we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, we rejoice in the fact that now he calls us to himself and sends us forth on mission for him. The reason why we talk about all of this and sharing the good news of Jesus and proclaiming the gospel and being a gospel patron and using our time, talents, and treasures for his kingdom it's because he's changed our lives. It's because he's touched us. It's because we have been forgiven. And if today you don't know what it means to be saved by Jesus, you don't know what it means to receive his love and forgiveness and cleansing, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come forward to the front. Our prayer team will be here and we would love to be able to pray with you if you want to make that step.